everybody, and welcome to the Nightfly Monthly Audio Video Podcast. My name is Dave Juskow. Join me and my guest tonight, Fred Stoller, Army Hammer, Dr. Joyce Brothers, and much, much more. And when I say much, much more, really, the other two weren't even a thing. But Fred Stoller will definitely be on the show, and it's going to be a fun show. And that's what we do here at the Nightfly, and it all starts right now. And welcome to the show. My name is Dave Juskow. This is the Nightfly Podcast, the monthly audio and video <laughs> podcast that we love to do every so often so you can see everything we're talking about and do whatever we need to do and show you whatever we need to show you. And uh, April of 2021 should be no exception. This coming out on april what the 26th or 7th i don't know what it is on a tuesday uh also as you know the comedy seller show this week will premiere the comedian liz mealy will be promoting her book why catch our assholes that's hilarious and the musician julian villard who i played a little bit of you last week hopefully you enjoyed it as much as i did discovering him myself and we'll show a little bit about him and his videos and his music, and he'll be able to play a song for us tonight. So that should be quite entertaining. That's all on the Comedy Seller Nightly Show, 7 p.m. live, Tuesday on the Comedy Seller Nightly channel on YouTube. Uh, the week after, for, for May the 4th, be with you, we have Alex Salkin, the showrunner and lead producer, executive producer, a family guy. Why wouldn't we have? You know, I asked Brian Posehn. I don't know if you know who he is, but he is the end-all person you want on a show as a comedian to be on May the 4th. But, of course, he's busy. Uh, he's in the Big Bang Theory. He plays the geologist, Bert. And he's been on countless of other shows, let alone appeared. I remember telling him, I can't believe you were in the Fantastic Four, too. You must be so excited. And something else that's so amazing that, you know, being a comic book nerd to have appeared in any kind of comic book format. I'm missing the most obvious thing. Wow, what a dream come true. Let alone being in the Big Bang Theory, you know, which is all about comic books and stuff like that. So I can't imagine he thought that that would even be a thing years before. But uh, he's busy on the Ford, so I'll have to find somebody else, and I'm sure I'll find somebody delightful. But Alex Sulkin should be good. We'll talk about Family Guy Blue Blue Harvest and the uh, Star Wars theme shows that they've done. And, of course, we even have a picture of Alec dressed like Alec Guinness from Ted 2, which he is the writer of, Ted and Ted 2. Ted, as you know, being the greatest comedy really of all time. Yeah. Yeah, I went there because it's awesome. Way awesome. Well, uh, so here we are. Uh, you know, I was just, there's a couple things I want to get through, and then uh, we'll bring in Fred Stoller. I needed more time with him. He was on my show, but I needed some more time to ask some more Seinfeld questions and some other questions, and that's why I thought we'd have him on today and talk to him. And actually, uh, 
I'm taping on Saturday. Tomorrow, uh, Susie Felber, if you remember our guest from a month ago, exactly uh, when we were doing the talking about the yield triple in, I'm actually going to her house tomorrow to look through those cards. So she has forgiven me and may even cook me some dinner. Although my nephew wants to stay here on Sunday, which I'm really upset about, you know, well, I'm not upset about it. I'm not upset about it at all. I'm not upset about it at all. I had a bad day yesterday. This has nothing to do with Billy. I'm glad he wants to stay. I'm just a freak. I've lived alone for so many years. And during COVID, I think, I think I've lost my mind. Although I think I haven't, I think I have. Yesterday, I flipped out. Um, Rachel Feinstein invited me and Memo over for dinner. And, you know, she called like around 3 o'clock and said, oh, something Keith Robinson is going to be at the cellar today. You know, you know, I hate getting a call from somebody the day we're supposed to do something. It's always bad news. I don't know why I pick up the phone. And the plans changed, and I flipped out. And then my friends Lee and Laura wanted to come, and then they were like saying we're getting a babysitter at 7.15. And I was like, 7.15? We're going to be at dinner at 7 o'clock. They're like, no, we can make it late. Like, people keep calling me and want to do stuff that's normal, but nothing is normal yet. You know, so like Sophia called on Tuesday night after I did my show, and she goes, Dave, <laughs> you can't believe this. Dave, me and my girlfriend, we're, we're going to Cancun uh, tomorrow, but we want to come over and drink at your house. You know, so we'll see you at 10 o'clock. I'm like, 10 o'clock? Are you guys crazy? It's going to be Sophia, beautiful Sophia, and you know it's going to be our hot friend, and they want to come over and drink. I'm like, nah, nah, let's kids. I'm in my pajamas by nine o'clock. I, you clearly don't understand. She goes, well, then we'll meet at a bar by your house. I'm like, it doesn't work that way anymore. You, you just can't meet at a bar anymore. I don't think that's a thing. And maybe, it, I don't think it is, but everybody's like, like Lee and Laura, like, oh, we'll meet for dessert. And I'm like, dessert? There's no second place anymore. You have dinner and then everything closes up. I, I mean, maybe it's not that cut and dry, but I think it is. I think like everybody's acting like everything's back to normal again, or maybe I'm just not ready for it. So obviously it's me. I'm insane. I don't want to invite two girls over because I'm like, no, that's my bedtime. <laughs> Wonder, I guess in my twenties, I probably would have had them come over, but uh, now I think, uh, no, I would have done that. Ten, ten, no, I would, but uh, Hey, I'm exhausted by that time. I'm a mess. And then I canceled Rachel's thing. Cause it just got too complicated. It got too complicated for me. We were on the phone. I was just mad. I'm so mad at Lee and Laura. They came over here last Saturday with their kid, one of their kids. And they came over because, you know, I got the video games behind me. I mean, you can't see, you know, but um, if I you know, took off the green screen, you'd be able to see. I got, you know, I got the Pac-Man machine. I didn't put together the driving machine yet because I like to wait because it bothers Joe Messina to no end. Did you put it together yet? Did you put it together? Yet? I'm like, oh, I'm going to. It's it's funnier not to do it. <laughs> it was It's worth the price of paying for it and not putting it together and just leaving it really there forever because it drives Joe crazy. For what reason? Who even knows? He's never coming over again. He's never going to let me over again. This is a nightmare. Anyway, so the kid comes over. So she now she wants to come over all the time. You know how I feel about Lee Maracas' kids. I don't really care for him that much. Uh, but she's older now. She's like, you know, 10 or 11 or whatever she is. And she seems more fun still, though. But anyway, she comes over. The Pac-Man machine's on. She's just going crazy. She just learned how to, the first time she ever played. So she, they were here for hours. Then she's like, yeah, you got anything to eat? And I'm like, I don't know. I got some cookies. And she ate the whole thing of cookies. She, you got anything to dunk this in? You got milk? 
it dunk this dunk this shit in you know <laughs> like yeah all right i give her like milk and cookies i always feel like people that are 10 that's like too old for milk. why do i keep meeting these 10 year old girls that i just want to stay here forever i know it's weird i shouldn't even say that out loud but it's true i'm just saying because when i was in orlando and i got photos oh god it's just getting worse i'm really putting myself into a sticky wicket hello Anyway, now uh, they're like, hey, can you babysit uh, for us? And I'm like, but but then when they want me, which I would absolutely do, but I want to go over there. I don't, I mean, I'm not doing anything on Fridays normally. Um, they want their kids to come here because they want to play games. No, no, I'll go over there. I don't want any other kids here. And my nephew isn't bothering me in the least. He's got a, I think he got extra work on Mrs. Maisel. So he's just, he told me yesterday and it just wasn't in the mood because I was, I, I wasn't a panic attack. I don't know what it was yesterday. It was, I was just out of it. I don't know what happened. I can't, I mean, I, 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 I don't think I have to apologize to it. Well, maybe, I guess. I don't know what it is. There was something wrong. I woke up in a bad mood. I called my mother. I said, like, something's wrong with me today. I don't know what it is. I mean, I just woke up in a bad, I didn't get a good night's sleep. And I just woke up in a really just bad, angry mood. And, you know, it's funny because today, and Billy had texted me, and then I, I just waited. I turned off my phone. I was going to throw it out the window. One of those days, you know. And then I went to bed when I woke up uh, this morning. I just uh, wrote back, sounds good. You know, I'm in a much better mood. Still angry, but I don't even know why. I think I'm just getting a little upset and uptight about everything opening. I don't have anything to do. I don't really have a future. Uh, I'm a little confused. Also... Yeah, as long as we're being honest with each other. Uh, okay, I got a little frustrated. I I was on... Oh, that's why I didn't get any sleep, right? So I was helping Esther Koo with some lines. She has an audition, and I, I really like helping people with their lines, you know, with uh, being like an acting teacher, which is what I would really like to do. Really like to do. I mean, I like acting, and I would like to be in stuff, but I still would also like to teach acting. I would like that very much. I really like working with actors. It's weird. Because you would think, you know, those who can do, those who can't teach, but I like it. Anyway, um, so I was helping her with her lines, as I do sometimes for Sarah or anybody if they have big movie parts or whatever. I I like helping people. And she's gorgeous. And she's, uh, you know, in Florida. And, you know, it was a big scene. It was like a kissing scene. And uh, it was uh, it was very sexy and romantic. And, you know, I'm here and she's there. If we were in person, I think, I think, I feel like it, it just would have been, it was just frustrating. You know what I mean? It's frustrating. And I think that carried over because we did it till three in the morning. And, and then, you know, you know, I slept maybe weird because then I watched a little TV to relax a little bit. Oh, then I started doing some Billy Joel editing after. So I went to bed around five o'clock in the morning, woke up around nine. I just, or 10, I don't know. And just woke up angry and frustrated. And I'm sure the the Esther stuff didn't help very much. Um, so it's frustrating, you know, because then I'm saying like nobody's over, you know, we would have uh, done that together here at the house or something. Or And, uh, you know, it's a funny thing. I can have people over. Now I can start having people over. And I guess I start, and people are becoming over. I was just still not ready. But fortunately, my cleaning lady came on Thursday. So I am ready to have people over now. But that's why I was upset that my nephew's coming. I'm like, no, because I was like, I'm keeping everything neat. I'm keeping everything neat. He goes, like, can I stay over? And I'm like, damn it. It's going to mess up everything. Now, what's that going to mess up? Nothing. 
I got to relax, but I don't know how. So I got high yesterday thinking that would do the job. And I think it did. It did. It definitely relaxed me. But then I had like a chicken parm hero because that's what we were going to have at Rachel's. So I'm like, well, I got to have one now. And I, I shouldn't have eaten the whole thing. I don't know whether I got food poisoning, <laughs> but I don't know. It wasn't a good night's sleep again, but I'm still in a much better mood because I'm having a good time. I'm with you guys and I enjoy doing this. Another thing I was going to talk about today, I was at the supermarket picking up because I was doing my meal prep on Monday, right? I made, what did I make this week? Oh, I should have had pictures, but I didn't. Um, the chicken cob salad and a turkey meatloaf with a glaze. Positive, I didn't tell you about that last time. Maybe I did. Anyway, I made it on Monday. And of course, I forgot an ingredient. So even though I hate the city for supermarket shopping, you do love it if you forget. I forgot breadcrumbs. You can't just put your hands in a turkey, uh, turkey, what's turkey meat, turkey ground beef, whatever, without breadcrumbs. You gotta have the bread. You got an egg in there. You got all of the spices. It was just, just a success. Uh, you gotta have the breadcrumbs. And I forgot them. So, but living here, put on some pants, uh, some shoes, and went to the place. I was back in 10 minutes. I mean, that is a pretty good deal, but it's not worth it. I still rather, I'd probably be able to solidify my list more and never forget anything if I had, you know, if I was in the Jersey store, because I just take my time in there and there's just more room and you can read it, but you're in Manhattan, it's all rushed. I'm like, can I carry all this home? You know, so you're not thinking clearly. It's awful. Anyway, the turkey meatloaf was good. I bought some to my mom and she loved it. So that was good. I couldn't give her the chicken cob salad. I didn't realize it's not kosher. You know how I cook kosher because I can't help myself, but I put crumpled blue cheese in it. <gasps> I forgot. But I would do that again. For some reason, that doesn't bother me, but using bacon would bother me. So I use the Morningstar Farms bacon strips instead of bacon, which is like a soy product. So it's okay. But anyway, the uh, chicken salad uh, doesn't bother me. I'd make that again. But now if I'm making also for my mother, then I get a second guess. But I don't have that all the time anyway. And it didn't come out as good as last time for some reason. Not sure why. Anyway, this story sucks. Um <laughs> But there was a reason. Oh, yeah. So when I went to the grocery store, I saw a woman there using her phone for her grocery list, you know, and going through it. And I was thinking, you know, I always have a printed out piece of paper. You know, I still use piece of papers. Right. And I have printed out like when I'm looking at my notes, I'm looking at my my notebook, you know, my notepad. I'm the last person to use a printed piece of paper. I don't like, I don't know why anybody would like, I mean, if I had a big screen computer and certainly you can't do that with the video screen, I mean, I guess I could not be looking at what I'm taping and just have it on my screen. That would be something different, but I always like to make sure everything's recording and everything. And I wouldn't want to look at it on my phone because it's small and I can't stand when comics look at their phone for their material. I carry a little piece of paper with me because I have trouble memorizing. I have trouble mesmerizing people. But so this woman is doing this and I always bring a piece of paper with me to the grocery store. And I guess that's old fashioned, but there's nothing easier than to put this piece of paper, not a small piece of paper, like a regular eight by 11, you know, cut in half and put it in that little, uh, the baby portion of whatever that top portion of the card is in. So it's right there. I mean, it just seems easier than your phone turning it on all the time and, and checking and scrolling 
to have the piece of paper. That doesn't seem like old man shit. That seems like just an easier thing to do. No? Just a thought. You know, I'm confused of where um, being older gets to where just being more practical leaves off. I don't know what I'm saying. So I want to, yeah, I got some slides I want to show you uh, from last time, but and I feel like, there, was there anything else I wanted to tell you before we bring in Fred? No, I think that's about it for today. Well, I'll see you on the flip side of the interview, and then I'll remember if there was anything else I needed to tell you, but I'll just show you a couple of slides, and we will talk to Fred about Seinfeld and us working together and how that works and, you know, asking the uh, the ultimate question, you know, after you do Seinfeld, why are you working on a USA Network show with me? But that's Hollywood. I'm Tom Bosley, and that's Hollywood. <laughs> oh, my word. And that's Hollywood. Uh, all right, let's bring in Fred Stoller, the one of the nice guys in Hollywood. Uh, we'll bring him in to our Nightfly interview right after this. Everything you do irritates me. When you're not here, the things I know you're going to do when you come in irritate me. The Night Fly with Dave Juskow. Fred Stoller is joining us today. I am very excited about it. I had Fred on my Comedy Cellar show, and a uh, half hour wasn't enough time. I am fascinated by you. Hmm. I am interested and also like you very much. As a matter of fact, you were on with Rachel Feinstein, who I, I didn't know you'd never met before, and I guess she'd never met you either. But I guess you both heard about each other. I guess that's a generation after me. Or, right. or maybe two after me. I don't know. I'm still friends with the young kids, you know, the new generation. So, uh, but um, she was just saying, I was like, oh, I'm uh, talking to Fred today. She's like, oh, my God, he's such a sweet guy. He's such a sweet guy. Oh, I mean, she did. liked you from the. You know, I, I I asked my friend Jackie. I always get her name wrong. Monahan or Moynihan. Oh, yeah. We remember her. Oh, we used to, I guess. Rachel, we used to be friends. We all used to be friends years ago before she moved to L.A. Yeah. And I said, she, you know, she goes, yeah, Rachel's great. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen her in many years. She's out in L.A. now. I love your cat. I love that your cat is just hogging the just, spotlight. Just chilling, chilling. Wait, what's the cat's name again? You told me before. Chloe. Chloe. <laughs> I was Selena. I love it because, you know, you were uh do you have a black cat? Because the reason I got a black cat was because of Sabrina, the teenage witch, which you actually happened to be on, which was very exciting for me since that was my favorite program, which it shouldn't have been, but it was Get out of here. Why was that your favorite program? Because I have issues and I found her to be attractive um, because I'm a pervert and an old man and disgusting. But of course I was uh, very young at the time, but still apparently legit too if old like, to like her. What's your name? Marshall. Melissa, jo- Melissa Joan Hart. Right. But, I also loved Salem. I mean, I loved the fact that there was a talking black cat. So, yes, you add in that girl who was okay. Look, you know, whatever. It didn't matter. But uh, then I enjoyed Then I like Caroline Ray, you know, obviously. And uh, the talking black cat, you know, I mean, that's my favorite thing. A puppet cat. Well, it was fun being on the set because they also had real cats that were rescued from the pound. Really? There were scenes where Salem had a walk. And it was a real cat momentarily. So that was kind of funny. That is cool. I didn't know that. And then 
what did they do with those cats after they were finished with them for that day? That's I'm sure they didn't put them down. No, there were <laughs> there was some like a you know agencies that takes animals and trains them to be on shows and. And I don't think they put them down when they don't act anymore. No, I guess not. I, but I, I know that because I was on TV Funhouse, and that's where I first saw these, you know, animal people that bring the animals. Oh, that's TV. right. Yes, that. Yes, they 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 have a whole slew of animals ready for uh, TV stuff. Isn't that funny that those those animals are doing better than us? Yeah, yeah. No, I used to love TV Funhouse. Yeah, well, it was fun because you know that's totally in my wheelhouse i was fortunate that you know smigel and and me and dino stamatopoulos i think you know we all have the same humor we like we like puppets and actual animals <laughs> i know no that what's better i forgot about that show yeah hey when they were uh just as long as i have you on with sabrina with uh, sabrina which sometimes i call selena because that was my cat's name um when they were working the puppet i mean the the cat was How'd that work? Uh, well, you know, Nick Bakai, uh, he did the voice. Um, there was like a puppeteer, a woman I remember. Actually, uh, would Nick just be in the background and feed them lines? What do you mean? There wasn't a studio audience. No, 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 I know. But was Nick, when they were doing the scenes with Salem, would Nick just say the lines? Then they'd add it in later. He had, he had a great job, which I think they're bringing the show back. Um, I heard that, too. Uh, he would, uh, you know, not have them memorize them and just be on the side and say them. And the puppeteer would move the paws and stuff. It's so brilliant. I play clips from it all the time. Meanwhile, did you see the chilling adventures of Sabrina? Is no, what is that? Is that the gritty, like, Riverdale version? Yes. No, I haven't seen it. But, yes, you know, I'm an old guy, so I grew up watching... I mean, reading Jughead comic books and me too, and and then it became this gritty, gritty, you know. Well, uh, they have a in season three or or four, whatever it was of the the last season. They uh, they had a surprise where Sabrina went into a different alternate universe, and it was the television show universe. And they actually had Caroline Ray, and uh, you know, a talking cat, and it was great. Oh wow! It's like really exciting because I saw every episode. I'm obsessed with Sabrina because not just because they're hot, but because they have the talking black cat. I like that, you know, and that's why, you know, I remember the first one I was on. um, He died. Eddie Albert Jr. He was in uh, Butterflies Are Free. Not the guy from uh, Green Acres. No, his son. Oh, the second one. I was a warning man. So I just like put a side. They put a siren on my head, and it was it was uh, it was goofy. Who directed yours? God, I don't remember. Okay, well, I'm only I asking because I was making fun about a couple of months ago. I was watching it. It was from the beginning. It was on Antenna TV every day, so I just kept taping them. And I saw that Melissa Joan Hart directed one, and I was just making fun because again, you know, maybe she was twenty, and she's directing Martin Mull. And I'm thinking Martin Mull's got to be like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Like, what the fuck is this kid? You know, <laughs> like I, I remember I, I, you know, he was on the second episode I was on, but we weren't in any scenes. And I said, Martin Mull, wow, am I able to say I work with you? Because we weren't in the we were in the same episode, but we were not in the same scene. And he goes, well, our name's on the check. So we could, <laughs> we could say we work together. So, yeah, nice. I, I 
it's like my old joke. I'm able to say a, you're a college graduate. You know, my mother said, I said, what good does a college degree do? She goes, you'll be able to say you're a college graduate. Like I'm not able to say it now. Like I try, I'm a gagagagawit. So am I able to say I work with Martin Mull? That's a big question. That is from 1989 from the Young Comedian Special. Sure. <laughs> Which I remember yeah. very David much. Spade, Rob Schneider. Yeah, David Spade, Rob Schneider, Jan Karam. And two people who aren't alive anymore. J- to you? Two oh, people you're taking uh, the dead. other people like Warren Thomas. He's dead? Yes, and Drake Sather. Drake Sather is dead too? I was uh, thinking about that. I don't. I didn't know him, but I remember. You know, I actually wrote a book, a Kindle single called Five Minutes to Kill, about what happened to everyone from that young comedian special. Oh. It's like my Seinfeld year is a Kindle single. Yes. And I it's, wrote one about the, the 1989 young comedian special. I know. And that's a problem for me because I don't have Kindle. So, Kindle, so I'm going to show you something for a second that I was, you know, I like to promote everybody's stuff. And for some reason, if you could maybe uh, uh, shed some light on this, can you explain to me while, why your other book, maybe we'll have you back, is $890. Oh, wait, wait, but you got to send that. Could you send me that or uh, like a – where yes. did you find that? Um, I, when I was look, I was going to buy the book before I had you on. I, you, like, you can get it cheaper than $890. Can I? It says here maybe I have a chance of getting it for $775. <laughs> what the fuck? That's what I'm asking you. Could you? Uh, I don't. That doesn't make any sense. I will sense absolutely send you that. But I went on Amazon because I'm like, you know what? I'll get the book before I talk to him because that's what you're supposed to do as a host, as a good host. I'm having Liz Mealy on the show, um, on the Comedy Central show. I don't know if you know her on uh, Tuesday. And she wrote a book. So I want to buy it beforehand because it's polite. No, this book, you know, get the paperback. Well, I like for I, I don't mind getting the paper. I'm just saying it wasn't even available except for eight hundred and ninety dollars. And although I was very excited you were going to be on the show and I wanted to write by no, you, no, no, I that was a little much during a pandemic. Yeah, I could even to, send you a free one. You know, no, I, I don't copies. want. I want a paper. But how do you explain that? I've never seen. No, no offense, but Stephen King's book are a little less than that too. You know, I just it's, yes, it's a yes, little weird. just somewhat some alternate universe like the Sabrina universe. Where I'm like, it's like, it's like F. Scott Fitzgerald, maybe, maybe we're tripping. I don't know. But congratulations on being the Thank highest you. paid author in history of books, more so than Mark Twain. And yes. The, it's I mean, it's unbelievable. yes. But uh, Fred, if you don't mind, sure. I have a bunch and I'm sure you get asked this all the time and you wrote the book, my Seinfeld year, but I haven't been able to read it because I don't, I, I like to read regular books. You know, so I'm not a, I'm on the screen all the time. So I don't, I'm not that kind of person, you know? Yeah. Um, when I do read, I prefer and I like to support people. So I like to buy the actual book and I like to show them that I bought the book, you know. But anyway, if you don't mind me talking about Seinfeld a little bit, I am completely yeah. fascinated. And it's just all, I mean, it's amazing a coincidence that season six has been on Channel 11 here in New York City this whole uh, past uh, month or so. And so, you know, I've just, I just that was the year you were on Seinfeld. You and I met. We were writing on that show Strip Poker, which I mentioned on the Seller Show. You, me, and Bonnie McFarlane, who got me the job there, and that was in around nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. Yes, that's after Seinfeld. 
And mm-hmm. it, it, boy, is that a Hollywood story, I guess, you know, because <laughs> well, I always wondered what happened in between. <laughs> I know you were a working actor and you were doing all that stuff, but, you know, what? how did well, you get it, the job on Seinfeld in the first place? If you don't mind me asking these questions no, that are happened, clearly in your book. I wasn't really going that route of, I always use this example, which no offense to Mike Rowe, not, not the, there's another Mike Rowe, a comedian, Mike Rowe. Well, you and I know the comedian, Mike Rowe. Yes. Yeah. Not that he's, you know, the template of people in the public. know, but when I did stand up with him in the eighties in New York, he dreamed of being, you know, what's his name, Rob Petrie and sitting around a writing table. He had the dream of being a TV writer. Uh, that was never my thing. Like when I did the stand up in the eighties with like, you know, what Gilbert Gottfried and Eddie Murphy, who, Eddie Murphy, as you know, uh, you know, uh, he, who mentioned you yes, the other and Mark Barron's podcast yes. for Christ's sakes. Unbelievable. And Rob Bartlett, the eighties comedians, George Wallace, Cherry Seinfeld. We didn't, there was in this world we knew like now people go to Harvard and it's their career and they, right. They write for the thing and they know you get deals. You'd be a TV writer. That wasn't really even in my periphery of a dream to be a, a sitcom writer. I mean, here I am sitting in an apartment with a cat and, you know, yes, I could have had a nice, you know, if that, if you're a careerist, uh, uh, like a, you know, a, um, a big, big house with the thing in the dot. But I grew up the seventies watching like Mary Tyler Moore, Barney Miller, uh, Bob Newhart show. And I guess I love the character actors. Like I was lucky enough to be friends with um, Jack Riley who died and he was on the Bob Newhart show. He's yes, like he a was uh, Mr. Uh, Carlin. Carlin. Right. So I guess. And he was in an episode of Seinfeld. Yes. Yes. Which so made I, me upset because it was a very small part for such a great yes. man. And so he was I, also in history of the world part one. Sorry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He, oh, I yeah, like the character actors too, which is why I felt yeah, so I, honored to talk I, to you as well. I related to character actors. I never thought I could be a star. I didn't have much self-esteem, but I like the weirdos that popped up, you know, on those shows. So that's, I wasn't even, and I think I talked about this before, pursuing stand-up the way, you know, people do like the Gary Goldman's now with, they do seven sets a night or Colin Quinn, real purists. And I respect them for that. So I, so my fall, so basically I knew Larry David, you know, also from the New York scene and, and my friend, Steve Scrovan, who has, and still has a great career. You know, he was a stand up, but he went the uh, sitcom writing route, which yeah, I did. Yeah. You know? We all knew about him. Cause we, I'm probably uh five years behind you so i know exactly who you're talking about and the same thing you're talking about i was at pips my first time where you grew up in sheepshead bay in 1983 so i was with you where that just wasn't a route you would take we didn't know about the deals and all that kind of stuff yeah. I, you know so me and Atel, who grew up around the same time we all definitely know steve scrove and we're like wow that guy's doing really well from stand-up yeah he was in the 80s comedy boom and he wrote nine years on Seinfeld, had lots of deals and, and that. And uh, so, okay, so basically Steve Scrovan had a surprise birthday party, like 1994. And I went to it. And the story I always tell is Larry David came in a little later because he goes, 
I wouldn't have to scream surprise like an idiot, you know? <laughs> so at the time, a bunch of 80s comics people, a guy, actually, you should know who he is because he doesn't get credit. Charles Zucker well, was the original think- piano player at the Comedy Cellar. You should have him on your Cellar show. It started out a guy, Bill Grunfest. Bill Grunfest, I, he was the one that started comedy at the Comedy Cellar. Yes. Right. And Charles Zucker was his uh, cupiness, I guess, ah. before Rick Chrome is that name. Right, right. Right. Did, and so Charles Zucker was one of the original guys at the uh, Cellar. So people like him, Mike Rowe was at this uh, Steve Scrove and Surprise birthday party. And people were coming up to Larry go, did you read my spec script? And, and first Larry was going, you're a loser. You're never going to get laid. You, you know, you, you, you're doomed. And he goes to me, how come you never wrote a spec script? And, and I, because, you know, like I said, I wasn't pursuing that life like these people were. And I didn't like the idea to the people. Do people watch this, by the way? The, I, I hope so. Uh, is, is this your first time? How long have you been doing this? Oh, just six years. I got about okay. seven listeners. and uh... Okay. So basically, for the people who don't know, now it's changed. A spec script was something you wrote to show your ability of writing. And the rule used to be you, if you're trying to, you know, you would pick a template like modern family or Seinfeld at the time to show your writing ability to get staffed on a show other than Seinfeld. Yeah. Now I think the rule is you got to write an original spec script. Uh, but I, but I remember I'm around years, that time too, where you had to write something like a, like the uh, Sims, my friend, remember but, Steve? Oh, the comic. Yes. Yeah. He wrote, I remember he wrote and he sent it to me uh, an original Dick Van Dyke show. As a <laughs> That'd be funny as a joke. Yes. Yeah. But that's funny. But yes, it was Seinfeld, The Simpsons, Modern Family. Frazier. Brett Frazier. Exactly. Yeah, they would write one. spec scripts. So I said, I don't like the idea of writing something I know won't get done. You know what I mean? It was just to show an example. I wasn't going that route. Like I said, he goes, uh, you should write a, write one. Nothing will happen, but I will read it. So I kept stressing nothing will happen. And I wasn't gonna, because again, I'll stop being repetitious. That wasn't my Jones. I wanted to be, you know, Jack Riley or just a guy, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah. And it would seem, and I would never survive at an aggressive writer's table. And there's a lot of reasons. So, so, um, but then I thought about it. I said, people in 1994 would kill to have Larry David read their Seinfeld spec script. So I, 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 so I rationalized that, you know, have a spec script. That way, if, some, if something falls on my lap, that if someone says, Fred, do you have a spec script? I'd have it. And, and again, in 1994, this is going to shock you. They didn't have Seinfeld on Hulu or DVDs. So it wasn't so easy to, you know, study it. And I wasn't a student of it, but someone got me a, uh, what's it called? A, uh, a script. So I could sort of look at it. I wrote a um, spec script. And one of the stories was, uh, two stories were in it. In 1990, there was a show called London Underground that uh, I they, remember. they, they I think even Dennis Leary hosted it, but not the one I did. 
And I met some woman there and we had great sex. It was so long. And then I flew her to New York, uh, LA. Not kept. No, I didn't fly Kathy Griffin from London, <laughs> but this is someone no one ever heard of. And well, she's not in the business. She lives in London and it was a disaster. She'd get mad if I said what, instead of pardon. And, and, oh, uh, I know. Where yeah, I mean, I assume you're going with that Simon character. Yeah. Simon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so basically that was written for Jerry. But the story they liked, or Larry liked, was, again, before the internet, because that is not even blind dates, because you could look someone up. Oh, okay, that's... So someone said, I know someone, she's working in Cape Cod this summer, I'm going to set you up. And I thought, I so want to see what she looks like. I thought, what if I hired a police composite artist to sketch it so I'd get excited? Oh, yeah. So so that was that was the, I think that was the George story. And I didn't even know you supposed to afford. So Larry calls me up. Eh, I like the composite thing. Eh. I go, you're going to use it? He goes, I don't know. I don't know. Then he calls me up uh, like a week later. You want to be on staff? So at the time, before the Harvard writers came in. and So you're, were, you're he, saying that you uh, just told them a couple of ideas. And then he called. No, 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 no. Not at the party. I went home. No, no, another time. Yeah. I, I did send in the spec script. Oh, you sent it in. Okay. You yes, didn't say if the, you finished it or not. So, Oh, no, with the London story and the police composite. So, no, I actually wrote it up. Oh, so you wrote the story with Simon. That was your spec script. Yes, that was Seinfeld. the Jerry story. That was the Jerry story. And okay. then the, um, the George story was the uh, the police composite. At the time... They were eating up and spitting out a lot of stand-ups again from the eighties. Would like a guy Bill Masters from the eighties? Oh well, yeah. Um, who else is in that? The- Don McHenry, Bob Shore, Steve Shawban, right? Bob Shore was on. Um, John Heyman. I know Mario Joyner was around that time too. I don't he know. Wasn't, he wasn't. He wasn't on. He, was he would hang out. He was on. And a guy John Heyman who actually helps him with Curve now. So I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was shocked, but, but I seemed to fit in the template. Like he thought, you know, stuff, you know, could be for George stories, you know, like, Oh, he's a quirky guy. We like the thing. Let's try him on Seinfeld. And that's one of the only shows where Larry David could, didn't have to get network approval or castle rock. Oh, look, these guys. So by the time you were on, they were at number three in the ratings. So I guess they just let them do whatever you wanted when you came on. They went to number one. When you left, they went back down to number two. How do you explain? Well, that's something I got (laughs) to brag about. But um, I uh, was the number one. Yes. So basically, you you sat there and you invented the character of Kenny Banya. Yes, it was unbelievable. What happened was so okay. So it turned out that the uh, thing with the the London. That was too loserish for Jerry. I would pitch stories and Jerry, you know, you can't have him be neurotic, obsessive, cheap, a victim in a stuff of a woman, you know, that doesn't want to sleep with him. So the composite thing. So you had to pitch a Jerry, George, Elaine and Kramer story and have them all intertwine. So um, luckily I went to uh, the Beverly connection and, 
Hollywood, bumped into this comedian, Bruce Smirnoff, who said, hey, I'm huge. I've been working out with weights. I went from a 40 to a 42. What size suit are you? And I didn't know. Never had a suit. Because you want this brand new Armani suit, which wasn't brand new. Uh, and it turned out, he said it was a thousand. I turned, it turned out, I had another legendary name. Would you know a guy, Pete Fogel? Um, uh, no. He, yes. Wait, did he do Woody Allen imitation? No, no. That's okay. Barry Mitchell. Um, who, by the way, I connect you to Artie Lang, and there I'll I'll do a story with Barry Mitchell and Artie, maybe in a bit. But um, the um, Banya, uh, so so Banya, yes. So I picked that not actually a thousand dollars, right? (laughs) Yes. So I that seemed to be a really good story for Jerry, which was the hardest one to come up with stories for. Like I said, he's not obsessive, cheap, crazy like Kramer, petty. But it fit really well. So, and then um, we switched the, uh, I I said, what about the uh, London guy for Elaine? And then there's a guy, Warren Bloom, uh, uh, one of those guys that would hang around comedy clubs that didn't do comedy. He was a centric guy. Are you allergic to your cat? Nah, I just... (laughs) He just, uh, he had, he in real life threw out his refrigerator. He didn't want it anymore. And uh, yeah, so that's, so in real life, there was this annoying guy, Bruce Smirnoff, who. Well, so, I know Bruce Smir- Smirnoff. I went to his house when I was in LA. I think I, I don't know whether I told you the full story. That he but, used to have parties where he'd make money. There was an open bar. You'd have to pay for the drinks or something like that. <laughs> well, I hung out at his house one night with Cato Caitlin from the OJ trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was really funny because, you know, I uh, said, I don't want to go to a party with that guy. And then it turned out he was like the he was the greatest guy. You could see where OJ would be like, dude, you should live with me. Uh, but what we were doing there that night was to Bruce was trying to date. Uh, it was before online dating. So he had videotapes of all the girls that he was trying to date. And we all watched and were drinking and smoking and having a good time watching the, the girls and also the dudes. Like he had tapes for all these people trying to, hi, I'm such and such, you know, looking into the camera and saying, I like long walks and stuff. It was, so it was a great night, but uh, I just, when you told me it was based on that guy, it was so classic. I can't believe it. And wow. that, and then you told me, he auditioned for the part, but he didn't get it. Yeah, I think he was trying. They weren't looking for a Bruce Smirnoff impersonator. Well, it's he, just like uh, Kramer in the in season four, where he's auditioning yeah. to play Kramer, and he's all yeah. <laughs> just uh, Steve Heitner came in and just brought something great to it, and it brought um, something great. They asked him back two weeks later. It's uh, I mean, wasn't that unheard in your season? They asked him back. They the, Tim Watley's first season. They asked him back right away, and of course David Putty. Uh, all these characters, and I don't think they did that a lot. Where in season six, seemed to be bought back a lot. That was a very very strong season. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, he had, you had uh, the, the Chinese woman, the soup, the race, the switch, the face painter. These were all you know classics, and you're in the face painter. Just an extra. Well, it was my favorite because you were wearing a New Jersey Devils. Uh, that's outfit, right. That's so it made right. me very happy. And obviously, I knew who you were. So I was like, oh, my God, it's Fred. So it was like very exciting. But, yeah, it's exciting that you were with these uh, in the season and with these. And you wrote the Kenny Banya, but you were in the putty. And these are 
legendary characters that they actually bought back, which I always felt is something, man, you really had to do a good job for Larry David to think that was a good idea because he, you know, it was very clear to me that he was going, we're not, you know, there's no spinoffs from here. You know, nobody, we're not, you know, we're not having any kids. Nobody's getting married, you know, all that kind of stuff because he didn't want to go the ways of those 70s sitcoms that were ruined by all that stuff. And so to have somebody back, you really had to do something great uh, to impress well, Larry David and Jerry. I think be probably a nice that. person to work with as well. Ooh. My guess is if you were an asshole, you were just out, even if you were talented. Larry? I'm asking, I guess. Yeah. I was intimidated. He's kind of like he is in Curve, except he has more filters in real life. But he's, you know, it's... Uh, I mean, well, I'm I saying he must be very hard to please, and you have to be on your... You know, you have to be really something special to be asked back. <laughs> Bless you. See? You. I, think oh, you mean I, I think you're allergic to cats. Back. I wasn't, yeah. You're you're allergic to cats. I don't think very so. Obvious. I mean, I've had them for 20... Not these, but... <laughs> I've had well, cats wait, so, for many so, years. But that's the question. You, you had... You, you invented this legendary character... You wrote this amazing episode, and I know how it works over there. You know, everybody's involved, but you had these storylines. You had the chimpanzee storyline for Kramer and the face painter. I just wasn't like fitting in. I couldn't come up with another episode, another Jerry story. I, I, I wasn't one of the guys. I I, I just wasn't working out. Saying so. you're, you're, what are you saying? You're a one-hit wonder? You were like, a, you know, you came up with these unbelievable you know, you're the Kaja Gugu of uh, Seinfeld. He came up with one unbelievable song and story. Yeah, that's and then that was it, huh? Isn't that I interesting? Did. Well, uh, going back to strip poker. So after Seinfeld, I, I wasn't brought back. Then I did this cheesy, well, uh, oxymoron or uh, redundancy ski movie. Like, uh, like Wait, a not with weeks. David Norton. No, no, I, I don't think this. Canadian people in it. Actually, I remember what, that David Norton, who is also one of Elaine's American, Elaine's twenty nine boyfriends, which of course you are as well. Oh, that's my other question. Then, how did you get into another season as an actor? Did you audition, or did they have you back? No, no, no. It's weird that the story I hear is they were auditioning people for this part, and and they were getting ready for a table read, and Larry wasn't feeling it. Then he goes, Fred. Fred could be this guy. Oh my god, that's amazing! So I had that, a rush. Make you feel rush. good though that you were in his mind. Absolutely. Two years later. One year later, yeah, I rushed over and read the script for the first time at the table read, having no idea what I was doing, but it worked. So yeah, I just most parts I get is someone has me in mind. I don't fit into puzzles. That makes sense. I'm not great at auditions either. They want me or they don't. But I'm just telling my listeners, yeah, so Fred was in this, uh, you know, then he was asked back to be in this episode where he plays Elaine's boyfriend. Elaine, one of 29 of Elaine's boyfriends, you know, there were Keith Hernandez and, you know, multiple others and Putty, of course. I think but it was a We're David also on with uh, David Norton, who was in the movie Hot Dog, which is a ski movie, so I thought maybe that was the connection there. No, American Werewolf in London was great, but yeah, so I I started getting <clears throat> after doing that Seinfeld guest spot, I started getting a bunch without auditioning and in the oh, wow. Uh, wow, mid nineties. So Even which is ironic, you're working on the Seinfeld show. You're you know you're writing you're in the thing, but yet it was a year later when you were acting in it, uh, which got you kind of a springboard to uh, not having to audition. Yeah, which I was a huge deal, and then you became we need a Fred Stoller type. Right. So I was doing a bunch of guest stars and I, I thought I was on my way. I wanted to be like 
like Wayne Knight, Newman, or just sure. being one of those character yeah, actors posted. on a higher level. So I really wasn't pursuing. I didn't have a great experience in Seinfeld, even though it was amazing. I was part of it. I didn't want to be a careerist. One of those guys, oh, let me try to write on Drew Carey. I couldn't see writing on what's that show? Um, the King of Queens. I right, don't right. understand. You well, know, that's right. you know uh, during every, uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, which, of course, you were on multiple times, uh, Attell, Ray Romano worshipped David Tell, and he was asked to be a staff writer. And he's like, I, that's not for me. I like doing stand-up. I like being out with the people. I can't sit there and... Right. I don't understand. I couldn't write an episode of the King of Queens or any of these shows. I don't. So that's why I was surprised that you got another writing job after that. Well, I wasn't pursuing it. I bumped into this guy, Michael Platt. Oh, yeah. Right. He's a big hockey fan. He was writing on our our show, too. Yeah. uh, At a pizza place. And he. Nice guy. Yeah. He said. Yeah. I think he dated Felice Schachter, who was in The Facts of Life, the first season. Okay. Why do I know that? And Zapped. And who's Zapped? No, Zapped, the movie with Scott Bale oh. and Lily Ames. Felice Schachter was the love interest besides Heather Thomas. Why right. do I know all this stuff? That's the question, Fred. I know. So I wasn't on strip over. I didn't even look at it as a writing job. It was like doing TV Guide crossword puzzles, and eventually I quit. I just, oh, no, the show, I was just doing it in between things. I didn't take it seriously. Well, no, of course not, and neither did Bonnie. I did because it was the first. I was never, I never thought of myself as a a writer. I I have trouble writing. Bonnie had to sometimes help me with my 10 jokes or 20 jokes a day we had to give in. I was really bad at, were you good at coming up with the questions for that show? I wasn't too good. I didn't think I brought I, I had to stay late all the time. I worked there from you know, 10 in the morning until like 10 at I night think- working on the stupid jokes. And Bonnie was, she was gone by uh, noon. Remember we'd take her to lunch and that was the end yeah. of her day. <laughs> I think, I think I, I remember that I time think- we took everybody to lunch in my van. That's when we first met that day. We took, every, we took yeah. a whole I had a minivan. My sister was living in town. So I had a minivan and we took everybody to lunch. It was a fun time. I think, um, what's his name? Who ran it? I forgot his uh, name. Rotman. No, no. The guy, no, not Mike Rotman. He was um, the head writer. Yes. There was another guy. I forgot his name. Who was the executive producer. Th- now, there was another guy also that was working. He was a 15-year-old kid. Do you remember that kid? Yes, yeah, Sam Levine. Of Seinfeld. Levine was his name or something? Yes. And now, I remember uh, when we were working together, and he was on Freaks and Geeks. And why, you know, he was a 15-year-old that was writing with us. It was very embarrassing for all of us. And... uh Freaks and Geeks had just gotten canceled and he was crying and we were in the parking lot together and I had to talk him down that things were going to be okay. You know, we're sitting there writing on strip poker in our, you know, 30s and he's, uh, you know, 15 and he's like, his career's over. <laughs> I'm like, it's going to be okay. Oh, Look, you got everything going for you. I just was there. I remember they were really nice to me. So I did it for a few weeks, but it, I didn't look at that as... Well, what I was oh, fascinated by is right. that I left town. I wasn't really living there. I was staying, you know, I was there for about six months or so. And then when I left, Sarah called me, Silverman, and she got a message on a machine because she was, you know, we didn't have cell phones at the time, that I got hired for another show, which I didn't even apply for, which was called Street Smart. So oh, right. It, it seems like once you got one of those gigs, you could get more and you could totally make a career out of that, which I was found right. very fascinating. Not that you'd want that career, but you... Some do it, but yeah. Yeah, they recycle. 
the people. I remember when we were there, there was a guy, an older guy, maybe at, at that, well, who knows, you know, you know how like when you think somebody's 70, but we're only in our 20s, right. so they were probably just 40. Uh, right. But there was an older guy there. I don't know. He was really weird. I don't know if you remember him. He smelled horrible cigarettes and stuff and booze. Uh, and he used to write for the Spider-Man TV series with Nicholas Hammond, which I worshipped as a kid. And uh, I was talking to him about it because there. I remember I was like, oh, you know, that there was a great backwards car chase in that. He goes, I wrote that, you know, <laughs> like. And so I, I was so excited that a guy who was writing on the Spider-Man TV series was also writing on the show. But then it was, you know, because it was exciting for me. It was my first time out there and everything. But then it gives you the kind of blueprint where people can get lost you know, in this in this world where you're writing for Spider-Man for CBS and then, you know, you're writing for strip poker, but you were just Absolutely. doing it on a lark. I also have another question. Uh, the episode, the uh, season you were in, they had the switch and Jan Karam was in that. Uh, I Were you friendly with her? I know you guys did the Young Comedian special together. I was friendly with her at that time as well. During that time in 2000 or, or uh, maybe a little later, my friend Danny was dating her. Danny uh, Vermont. Yes. And he's, he's been writing on Bill. Mo oh yeah. Oh, I known her. We knew each other in New York. A She's bit. very nice. Yeah. We knew each other a little bit in New York. Of course we did the young comedian special. No, we we've, we've been friends. We, but did it have anything to do with you to, for her to be on that show? Or she was just a friend of everybody's and cause no, he I used a happen. lot of the comedians that we knew, which was always, uh, you know, I loved about it. Like I said, seeing Bob Shaw in it or Mario Joyner and people that we knew, from starting out that, you know, Jerry and Larry used, which was great. You know, the people from back in the day, like Steve's Groven or something like, you know. I had nothing to do with anyone being on Seinfeld. So it's just a coincidence that the uh, two folks who were on the 1989 young comedian special happened to be on that same season. Let me just say, I was, if, if I was on staff that season, it doesn't mean I, I was not involved with, Nothing except for my stuff. Really? You were on your own. There was no table. No one comes up with ideas together like at Raymond or other shows. Oh, is that right? Oh, well, that's, no one that's, that's the question. That's I why I didn't put in. There was the, the first day Larry goes, that's your office. That's your office. All right. Uh, come to me when you have ideas. So the, what you're saying is if you were credited for writing an episode, you really wrote that episode. Whereas yeah. the other shows, you know, they credit the people for writing, but it's a group effort. Very rarely. Once in oh, a while. that's fascinating. The, my analogy, it's like we're all homicide detectives trying to solve murders, but our own murders. You know, you don't have a, a police station. All right, I got this murder. Help me, help me. You go in your own office. And it wasn't really conducive. Uh, you, I didn't, I really can't even say I learned that much hmm. because I was just trying to find Larry to pitch him and he'd be editing, he'd be casting, he'd be on the set, he'd be writing, he'd be doing some budget, whatever. And then you have to find him at opportune times. And I wasn't that aggressive. Like, this is a funny story. One time he goes, oh, I see you're not part of the clique. You got to get more aggressive. Find me on the set. Throw ideas at me. I go, all right, now that I have you, how about this idea? And he goes, that's stupid. <laughs> what the fuck? Because all right, but I did tell you to try things out, Freddie. But that was stupid. <laughs> That's a stupid idea. So no, there was I was. There's a lot that I don't remember part of my quote unquote season because you were not involved. Even uh. when they did um, tape nights, we were just like security guards, like uh, moving on to Jerry's apartment. The writers, 
it was a, one thing about Seinfeld when they hand when they did the table read the first day, they didn't change a lot. A lot of shows, Friends, I did uh, Raymond, they punch it up, but it wasn't a jokey show, so the scripts didn't change. So I didn't really learn so much the process, or oh, so I don't remember a lot of details because you, I was in my office napping because I couldn't write till my stories got approved. I'd go across the street, play pinball, walk around, <laughs> try to come up with ideas. That's why people like that memoir, my Seinfeld year, because it was just this weird misfit trying to figure out how to maneuver. I mean, I thought no on the number that, one rated show on television at the time. Yeah, it was. I thought it was like my my favorite year, like this joyous experience being on the top show. This is my Seinfeld year, a not so joyous experience being and it on. Turns the out, Alan Swan is an alcoholic. You know, just trying to your hero has just been, uh, yeah, yeah, just trying to figure out how to make this work when no one was helping me. I was on my own. I would walk around, try an idea out on someone, but I didn't want to bother them. So it was not this. Okay, so in your episode that you wrote, I know there's photos of you with um, Simon and stuff like that. So when you're the writer. Then are you in the soup episode? Are you on the set more than you would be? I am on the set being a cheerleader, but. Well, like you said, it doesn't change. So they weren't asking for stuff. They weren't asking. Do they bring the writers for their their scripts on the sets to have them there just in case? Or was that not even a thing for that show? Because they would definitely do that for other shows. You know something? There would be guys like Peter Melman who would. Larry respected more and he did. What do you think of this? But yeah, there wasn't too many changes. You, I mean, it was nice to Larry that I got to have the experience of watching things that happened to me, like the girl from London and the Banya stuff things. But well, then also uh, in the face painter, you're credited with the story, but Larry David did the teleplay. I mean, right there. So, I mean, just, I mean, if you think about life, if when it says, you know, on TV, the face painter, which is a legendary episode. For well, sure. I only wrote the monkey part of it. I, I know you're right. You wrote the monkey where Kramer has the issues with the monkey, which is hilarious because you said that happened to you, right? Yes. You're at the zoo and somebody was. And guys were throwing rocks at monkeys and he's and the woman said, stop, because they started it. So <laughs> right. I called it to Larry. And but, became... I mean, how great is it? It's when you see it on the scene, it says story by Larry David and Fred Stoller teleplay by Larry David. I mean, that yeah. is what a credit. Well, you know, look, when uh, when I knew they were doing my show, my, you know, the uh, the soup and you see the script stacked up, printed and you see written by Fred Stoller and a Seinfeld. I knew what, what is it at 27 years later? I can't do the math. 1994. That it would still be pretty epic, like my name on a Seinfeld script. You got it right there. Good. I'm glad because right, that's oh, what I, I got it. I got it. I mean, even though it was in a wondrous experience where I learned and have memories and high five. Two years from now, it would still be epic. You know, joyous, you know, parties with all the people. I just knew to be part. Like for example, um, you know, who John Manfalati is right. I do. Yes. He's a, you know, he's the work with Ray a lot. Men of a certain age. Multiple yes. Times, right, he Ray. came when I was there to get footage they, of a scene he was cut from because to show his mother, it was so epic for him to be part of Seinfeld, even though he was cut, he wanted the footage. He was cut from something. I think there was a thing with police lineups with Kramer. 
Yeah, I remember that one. Yes. So so I remember when they said, get to the table read, they have something for you for Seinfeld. So the exciting driving up Laurel Canyon. And I said to myself, because I thought of John Manfilati, I said, even if I have one line to be part of Seinfeld is forever. Yep. It's like, it's you know, I you thought, knew that back then. I mean, it yeah, was the number one really. rated show, but it's funny that you had the insight that it would be like, this will be like, you know, friends or not friends. It'll be like a mash, you know, years and be like, years. All right. This isn't the same thing. I, I was watching the Godfather again and you know, well, who was that guy in the beginning, the beginning, you know, what a great actor, but, but just to be part like, for example, one of my favorites, or maybe a favorite movie is Dog Day Afternoon. And I got excited when I met the guy who played the paramedic, paramedic with three lines. So you're I like just, me. That's the way I am, too. Yes. And I was so excited. People from, you know, so I knew if I could survive the cutting room and just have even one line on Seinfeld, that's forever. Like I could be a guy. You're sitting at a bar. Remember the episode with the da da da? I was the guy that brought the briefcase over. Oh, yeah. So, but then to my uh, joy, it was in, I think, three or four scenes. Yep. And, and, and playing and, Elaine's boyfriend, one of the 29 boyfriends. Yes. Do you know where so, you're rated? And I remember. Do you know where you're ranked out of the no. 29? 15. Hey. Between so Dr. I, Reston and Simon. The, the character you created, ironically. <laughs> so originally the name was Pete Babcock. Then Larry said, you don't mind I change it to Fred. And I go, no, you know, because he seems like a Fred. So, no, I knew when I was on it, when I saw the script, the, the I think that I send you a copy of the thing I've sent to some people. Wait, um, of the script? Yeah, maybe someone else. Sorry. Of the Seinfeld script that you wrote? Yeah, I made copies. No, I'd like that very much. All right, maybe I'll send one sometime. I'm lazy, but my 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 label maker broke. But uh, <laughs> but um, but I knew seeing that was that was that I same season, by the way. Label but maker. label maker was the same season as well. That's the I knew. Let me <laughs> see. Ow, let me show it to you. I knew seeing this was like you know something not to take for granted. You know. Uh, all right. Oh, wow. And then it says The Soup, written by Fred Stiller, directed by Andy Ackman. That's unbelievable. That is so, so knew, cool, Fred. I you have knew. that for the rest of your You've been in so much fun stuff. The fact that you're in Friends, in two episodes, that makes you a hero to anybody that's uh, a millennial or 22. Or I mean, my only hope, well, I shouldn't say my only hope is, let me ask you something. You know, you know this stuff. I was talking to my friend Greg, and... Uh, my my as another friend loves Joseph Cotton and and saw him on the the Love Boat, and and the, is there anything like what's that show called? Um, Murder She Wrote. Any shows now that bring back kitschy people from nostalgia? Like I don't think so, unless it's on the Hallmark Channel, and those right. people probably aren't understanding what we're looking for in nostalgia and stuff. Right. Because no, right. The love boat murder. She wrote all those things where they had the guest stars that were either the killers or the, the fantasy Island stuff like that. I don't. Right. Because, because remember those were back they would use old movie stars and stuff. That's just not later on in life. When I got, you know, I became very, you know, I love noirs, but I didn't know them years ago. So I would have appreciated, um, watching uh murder she wrote to see like uh 
people from the wars in their later life in these shows. Right. Like um, I used to love, I'm older than you, but a show love American style. I used to just sure. love seeing the, the, the thing love today. There's an unbelievable that. episode with Harrison Ford, you know, on it. Oh, I did not like know that. Yeah. But and I used Davey, to, there's one with Davy Jones. I, I see them all the, I watch, I mean, I used to watch it as a kid too. Um, cause that was the only thing that was on. Yeah, I used Friday to love nights. the opening credits to see who's starring. On I, I played the, uh, I put the, yeah. So the, love the opening credits was just like love boat. And for what, for Valentine's day on the show, I, I put our, our guests into it with the old stars, you know, with Abe Vigoda yes. and then I put so Nick I'm Griffin hoping, in and I'm hoping when I get older, I could get some work from nostalgia. Like if you're a nineties guy, you know, these are the people, you know, have a lot of nineties people in it. So I have a question for you. Why did the real Kramer sue you? <laughs> well, to not use derogatory adjectives. Um, it's funny. He sued me because he got mad in my book. I called him an opportunist, which is being an opportunist. It's like when Trump gets mad at you, um, things you, you know, someone called him and then by his reaction, he's being that, um, I wrote in my memoir, maybe we'll have you back, an experience with him, which I thought he got, would get a kick out of. I never thought, you know, I thought Kathy Griffin would get mad at me talking about a one-night stand. She loved it, how it's Stern asked her about it. I just described staying with him in Manhattan Plaza and his Kramer reality tour. And it's called free speech. It's called um, uh, you can't sue someone for having a... Uh, what's it called? An opinion on Yelp. But he found a lawyer who took it for free because he never saw Seinfeld. So he convinced this guy that I said he was taunting gays, which on his Kramer reality tour, there was a guy. Oh, right. Uh, For not that there's anything wrong with that. That's what they were. Right. And, and they made it sound like I said that they, he was sticking his head out in Greenwich village taunting gays and right. no one he was said his bus had never out. been to greenwich village which i think was bullshit anyway right right the thing was that his sidekick who screamed let's all scream and i was saying how annoying it is not that he said like i think what happened and i made a mistake was he referenced greenwich village he goes that's where the gays are everyone not that there's anything wrong with it and I think by accident, I wrote when the bus passed Greenwich Village, he had them all scream, not that there's anything wrong with it, which is called a mistake. It's not, you know, so he now it would never happen, this law, because they have strict in L.A. and in New York anti-slap laws, where if you can prove the case is frivolous, which this was, they throw it out. And eventually they did throw this out. Yeah. Like it, but you got guy, for both of your books, for some reason, you, you keep getting lost. Oh, then, look. <laughs> then an, a writer you you gotta i'll send you the book you, you could read where i told i talked about how you were on your own and one of the writers i didn't use his name set himself up to be my mentor and he, he didn't see me but i had to get a restraining order against yeah, him yeah he was bruce kirschenbaum kirschbaum you said it not me in case yeah. i don't want more banging on my door well if i found it it means it's out there in the yes. universe well again he serves himself i didn't use his name and then he takes me well then i took him to court and it's on tmz because you know he should have left well enough alone but it's funny every time you put out a book there's controversy not what fun i think because i seem like a, a meek guy that you can bully like 
they're not going to go after Phil Rosenthal or, well, one of them tried, or Ray Romano or Jerry. Right. Right. You know, I mean, they're, they, oh, the, they think they could bully me, you know. Um, there's one with your, with your book, uh, maybe we'll have you back. You know, sometimes on the show, I, you know, I've only done a couple of guest star roles. It's nothing, you know, too. <laughs> but right. I remember being, it's, I've tell people, I try to tell people how difficult it is to be a guest star when you're on a, a series that's been going multiple years because you really feel like an outsider. Yep. Yep. That's what my book's about. Yeah. The, the, the people have inside jokes that are on the show. And if you don't nail your scene, they get angry because you know, you're, yeah, yeah, you're it's yeah, very difficult to go from show to show like that. Although it might seem to some people, well, that's so much fun. What could be the issue? And that's that was the book. It's about you walking on eggshells. Yes. Yeah. You're walking on eggshells. Yeah, definitely. Isn't that, isn't that odd? Cause it seems like so great. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I know my, uh, my nieces were very excited that I was talking to you because of friends. <laughs> I mean, go figure, right? I mean, that's like the most popular show. I love that. Yeah. Came out. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, you were about five years older. So, you know, we, so we, me and Atel were already in awe of you and your greatness, you know, by 89, because we just started out, you know, I mean, I started in 83, but then I was still in college. So I really started around 87, 88. And uh, we were already, you know, I was talking to Wendy Liebman as well. We were already in awe of her. Right. You know, all you guys that, you know, you got, you were on TV in 1989 in a comedy special in HBO. It's unbelievable. You know, that was our dream. Were you ever on the Tonight Show with Johnny? Only once. Uh, I, it wasn't a good set. I mean, because yeah. <laughs> uh, I already had done it so much on HBO and uh, young and uh, yeah, but still, uh, what an honor! Because we would always say about Jan Karen, because Jan Karen got the she got the okay, she got the uh, the uh, yeah, which, which is now apparently it wasn't evil, magical so. when I did it. I had already done my act so much on you know evening at the Improv. They all blended in. Do you still do stand up? No. Okay, I, that would have been horrible for me to just say, "Do you still do it?" And you're like, "What? Yeah, I'm on the Tonight Show tonight." Actually, uh, Wayne Fetterman's on uh, the Tonight Show tonight. Oh, okay, the, very I excited have to about think. that. Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Fallon. Exactly. Yeah. So that's so great. You were on with the tonight because Wendy Liebman was on with Johnny Carson, and uh, you know we're from that school where if you were on with Johnny Carson, you are the shit. You know that's that that's yeah. our age group where the other kids today have no concept of how amazing that was and how hard it was to uh, get on. Anyway, Fred, thank you so much for taking. Thank you, David. Say hi to everyone. You're all great. It's good to see you. Have a good weekend. You too now. Bye. The night fly. What an imbecile. What an ultramaroon. (laughs) Running away won't save you. Fly with Dave Juskow. Well, he's a rather pleasant fella. Uh, does certainly seems like he's allergic to that cat. So I don't, <laughs> you know, just be honest. But it's a, what a nice apartment in the sense of uh, just has a lot of sunlight. It's a little too much for a, a Zoom show, but it's so much different than mine. You know, it's conducive to happiness that sunlight. And I live in a dungeon, technically. Sure, it looks bright in the set that we're using here, but no, I, I remember I always told you I always thought about using my bedroom as the living room because it's so sunlight because I'm only in my bedroom when it's dark, right? So I should just spend more time in there, but you don't want to spend, you know, the bedroom is for sleeping. 
Everybody knows that. You're not supposed to hang out in your bedroom unless you're a 15-year-old girl. But I always thought about making the bedroom, when I first moved in, making the bedroom the living room, but then people would have to walk through my bedroom. I've mentioned this multiple times. And, you know, what do I live in, a railroad apartment? What am I, what am I, 20? <laughs> I can handle something like that. People walk through my bedroom to get the living room. No. So this is the way, unfortunately, that it has to be. All right, I'm going to share my screen. If you're watching the YouTube portion of the show, and even if you are listening to the audio, you can watch the YouTube afterwards and see what I'm talking about. I'll obviously describe them for you if you're only listening to the audio portion of the show. So this is the uh, screen. So these are some of the pictures I told you I was going to show you. Here is the picture of that kid from last week. I was down here in Florida, KC. Remember I told you how cool he was? Remember I told you he was carrying the Diet Coke and he was, uh, you know, being like, hey, yeah, it's been a minute, huh? Remember I told you he was like the cool, he was like the no, Damone of his generation, but this is the way Damone would probably dress instead of 1982. He would dress like this in 2022. Uh, I mean, look how cool he's got. He, he looks great. He's thin. He's got the cool glasses. And then look at that hair. It's unbelievable. But I definitely look like his dad there, which is fine because, you know, should, I'm his dad's age. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I wanted to show you. And this was the, all the oysters I was talking about last time. That's Katie and uh, Michaela. And those are all. The, look at that beautiful. How many dozens is that? Is that like 50 oysters? You think? Look how beautiful it looks. Oh, my God. It's making my mouth water as I'm thinking it. You can see Kayla just staring at it. She's like, yeah, I'm going to eat all this. And then I'm going to pass out on the couch. Remember I told you I took this picture. I'm just going to pass out. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you got to see the YouTube portion so you can see the the passed out with the leg over the couch and just completely passed out, which is hilarious because it's the same thing when the, the, she's so passed out. The kids, this is a reflection from the glass, are just sitting there watching TV with their aunt passed out for hours on the other side. And you see the kids terrified because they think they were watching a scary movie. Um which, what were they watching? I came in and I saw it. It was just something about a, a scary clown, which is the one thing you're not supposed to watch when you're 10. Everybody knows that. Here, once again, you know, if you've seen the Instagram video, the picture of the Camaro. I mean, look how cool. Every day, every day when I went to that car, I'm like, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Look how beautiful that is. Yeah, it's 1985. What's happening, everybody? And here are the girls in the car, as I told you, the, uh, the 10-year-old girls loving, loving being in the Camaro. Look how happy they are. Who wouldn't be? They're in a the Camaro. Everybody knows how great it is. You can see their mother in the reflection taking the photo, the photo that would become an instant classic. All right. So now this pic, this is what I want to tell you. So we took my mother out for her birthday, which I believe I told you last week. In Perth Amboy, New Jersey. What a great town. Boy, if you ever get a chance to go on vacation, don't go there. Um, it's ironic, I was thinking of moving there. Because, well, you can see here, it's very nice. I actually have a video of me driving through it. And I wanted to put it together. I just didn't have the time. But maybe in our next monthly show, I'll show you. You know, I have my dash cam. And it drives through. And I can explain what things used to be. And how beautiful they were in the 70s. My grandparents used to live there. My mother grew up there. And now it's all kind of like a Simpsons episode, you know, like where it's all like the monorail episode where everything is just it's it's just like what happened in North Haverbrook. It's a, it's just a, a wasteland. But this is the, pic, the reason I have this picture up here 
Perth Amboy is on the border of New York and New Jersey, of Staten Island and New Jersey. I told you, I had a beautiful, this restaurant, a beautiful view of the beautiful Staten Island downtown skyline, of which there really is none. I was making it up. So I'm parked right here, as you can see. I'm parked here, and I decide I'm going to gamble because I'm in New Jersey. I can use the app, and that, you know, I know whenever I go to Jersey, I usually make a, like a bet, like a $50 bet. And so I'm ready to do it. I come early so I can do it until before everybody arrives for the restaurant. And I'm sitting there and they're like, they're like, you know, you're not, you're, we can't verify your location because you're obviously not in New Jersey. I'm like, what, what are they talking about? I'm completely in New Jersey. I checked the maps. I made sure because I got a new phone. So I was checking out, all right, maybe there's something wrong with there's something wrong with the phone. There's something wrong with the locator. And then I call them up and I'm like, hey, jerk offs. I'm in New Jersey. What's the story? And he goes, oh, you don't have those fake GPS. Data. I'm like, I don't have that. I already had to write a letter to the president about that in the first place. Um, but I, I don't have it. I was like, come on. So I said, well, I got to go inside now. So I don't have time for this. So I wasn't able to put my bets in, which is probably better off. And when it's so when I came back out, I got an email from them saying, you're too close to the border of wherever you are. And that's the reason. And I'm like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. Because you see where I am here? I'm going to, when you see it on YouTube, I'm going to zoom in. And look how crystal clear. Look how crystal clear this camera is. Look at it. I'm zooming in. This right here where I'm pointing across the water is Staten Island. You can see it's almost like you could definitely swim there if, you know, if you're under 50. I guess if you had to and why anybody would want to swim in that water. I don't know. I'm just saying you could. And that's not, I guess you have to be three miles away. I think if I was in the back of the parking lot, it probably would have worked, but then it all made sense at least. And as long as it made sense, I was like, damn, that's right. I'm this close to Staten Island. What a dream come true. And here's a picture of all of us at uh, did at lunch. This place called the Armory. Look, we're all together as if there was no COVID. There's Aunt Judy and Uncle Bob, my sister, my mother, Dory, my brother-in-law, me, Billy. And we're all just uh, hanging out. And look how it's beautiful. It's nice and bright. It was a lovely day, although I was just angry. Again, I don't even know why. Again, I don't. Oh, because Beth was one minute late. What's the matter with me? I got a problem. And it wasn't her fault. They wouldn't let her like the people at this front. I was so I was screaming at them as soon as I came in. They're like, listen, you're going to have to be out at three. And I'm like, you know, I don't have a problem with that. But you guys called me five times to maintain this reservation. At one of those five calls you made to me where they're like, are you still coming? You should have said, by the way, we need that table at three. You know, don't give me new information when I come in after you called already five times to OK the reservation. And why wouldn't they? I think they have a lot of people there that are Hispanic. I know this sounds horribly racist, but Hispanic and people from Staten Island who are just dits and they just don't care and they just don't show up. So obviously there's an issue with their clientele that they a restaurant will call you five times. I mean, I've never seen that before. I could see making one phone call the day before, but they really called me. I spoke to them. I made the reservation on Tuesday. They called me Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then did they call Sunday when I was there? I think they did. I mean, it was it was insane. And then when I got there, they gave there, and then they stopped my sister like, 
we don't have any information that he's here yet. I'm like, we were sitting right there. I mean, if you look again at the uh, YouTube part back here is where my sister was waiting, where they were keeping her waiting. Like I wasn't there, but meanwhile, she just picked up her phone. I'm not going to get a Look, I'm getting upset again. I got to relax. Oh, and this is just, this is me. So I went to my friend's house in New Jersey on Thursday. Cause, um, you know, I took them out for dinner because they fix up my uh, my fire stick. Long story. And uh, he has these uh, beautiful, beautiful <laughs> slot machines from Atlantic City. Uh, this is the Willy Wonka slot machine. I wanted to take a video so I could show you guys. And this is me playing, having the best time. Like the way I have the video game machines in my house, he has the slot machines. And this Willy Wonka slot machine is fantastic. <laughs> That top part, if you're looking, it's got just a picture of Willie hugging Charlie at the end, but it also is a video. And if you get uh, three glass elevators in a row, it does all the, you know, the oop, I mean, it's really great. The music is good. The videos is good. Sometimes you get the boat ride, but you get the, I don't know, it's a fun slot machine. The next time I'm in Atlantic City, I'm totally going to play it. It's really cool. He also has deal or no deal, and he has a blackjack one. So like me, he's a fun house to hang out in. And we went to Outback Steakhouse, which I was so excited about. Uh, they wanted to go to this Texas rotisserie or something or whatever it's called. And I said, don't you guys have an Outback? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'd love to go there. So I got the uh, steak and the loaded baked potato with extra loaded. My favorite thing. Meanwhile, again, I might write to the manager there. Remember, I don't know if you remember years ago before I started the podcast, there was an outback by my house and they didn't have Foster's beer. Now, I never want to drink Foster's beer. They didn't have it on tap. But when I go to Outback, Australian Outback, that is the only time I have an icy cold Foster's. And they were out of it. I wrote a letter to the president. And not only did they give me a gift certificate, but they called me like, hey, why don't you join us for dinner? We'd like to talk to you and make up for what we did. I'm like, oh, you guys are okay. So again, go to the Outback in New Jersey. Oh, we don't have Foster's on tap. We just have the oil can. I'm like, that's fine. But still, the fuck? That's like the one thing you got to do. You got to have the blooming onion, which I hate, but you got to have it. Can't just go. You go to Outback and be like, oh, we're out of that today. Jerk offs. But was it? You better always have a blooming onion. What is What's it cost to get an onion? Fry it up. But and you also better have fosters on tap. Two things you always need you can't be out of if you're an outback stupid steakhouse. I'm angry again. But of course, the anger is hilarious in the podcast. It's just not it's not that funny uh after the podcast <laughs> for people. Anyway, just uh finishing up because uh, you know we want to get out of here. Uh so this is a I showed this on a show. This is the match game set. Uh, which I showed this a couple of months ago with uh, we got this this guy Scully Mitchell I can't remember his name Scully there's, there's a black guy in the uh, the, the the top would be left hand side you know where they always put like Gary Berghoff or McLean Stevenson or something like that I don't know then Brett Summers Charles Osborne on the bottom I think it's Patty Deutsch Richard Dawson and Marsha Wallace and Gene Rayburn sitting there and I pointed it out because everyone is dead except for the, the black guy in the left-hand side, this Scory Mitchell, whatever his name was. And the only reason I brought it up was because he was sitting there smoking 
on the actual show. And it's funny that he's 90 and he's the only one alive. But then I was watching, which has nothing to do with smoking, maybe. Uh, but I was watching it again on Wednesday and I took a picture of this picture, which is now it's Ed Asner on that top left-hand side, Brett Summers, Charles Nelson Riley, Marianne Mobley, if you remember her, I think she was a Miss America a long time ago, Richard Dawson, and Patty Deutsch again, and Gene Raper all sitting there, and everyone's dead except for the guy in the top left corner, Ed Asner. So, what is it about that top left-hand corner that's keeping people alive? Of course, I did just mention McLean Stevenson, and he's dead. So, But Gary Berghoff is alive. I don't know. I'm going to try and do more research if there's uh, something about that. i got to find out who else is in that top left-hand corner that's keeping everyone alive, clearly, uh, once you play match game. So... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I just found it fascinating that, uh, you know, that there is one person still alive and it's the fattest guy on the show. You know, the other guy was smoking and this guy is the fattest, most obese guy in the show. And he's still alive. Everyone else in that photo was thin and in shape. Well, not Brett. I think Brett Summers used to smoke a lot, but whatever the case may be. Hilarious. What I'm trying to say is I'm going to live forever. That is what that means. So I can eat all the chicken parms, get as high as I want, drink as much as I want. I'm going to live forever. It's like a cruel joke because I'm always going to live on the precipice of not having enough money. I'm just having enough money. It's very clear to me now that that's the way it's going to end. And when I say end, it's never going to end. It's never going to end. Oh, who cares? Cares schmares. What we have a good time today. That's the most important thing. Look, I'm doing my Ruth Gordon imitation because everyone knows who that is. And it's like, that's not going to be such a famed comedic. What's your father? Right? Whatever you want. You gotta want to live a little. I'm doing my Ruth Gordon imitation. Where? What other podcast? Are you going to see that none? Thank you very much, everybody. Listen, what a great show. We were able to bring to you today. I'd like to thank my guest, Fred Stoller, for taking the time out to join us this lovely day. Uh, don't forget Liz Mealy, Julian Villard. I would like to think anybody that likes this podcast will very much enjoy our new friend, Julian Villard. And he will be performing on the show the week after that on May the 4th. Be with you, Alex Sulkin from Family Guy and Star Wars. I'm just saying he's from Star Wars. And on the Billy Joel podcast this week, we will be releasing Allentown, finally, and An Innocent Man, as last week we heard All You Want to Do is Dance and something other bad. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's just two bad ones that nobody cares about. So at least we're releasing Allentown and An Innocent Man, not my favorite. And uh, and uh, two more. We'll be finished with the A's. Move on to the B's. It's a lot of work, but it's super fun. Anyway, that is the Nightfly for this week. We will see you on May the 4th. Be with you. And we were definitely going to do something Star Wars themed. We have to. May the 4th. Be with you. I just li- I, I like saying it, even though everybody's like, ugh, I hate that. But I don't hate it. I like it. You know, among us, the original Star Wars. Or the Mandalorian. Ooh, she watched that again. All right, folks, we'll see you next week on the Nightfly. I'm Dave Juskow. Have a great week, everybody. Good night.